Welcome to Raising Up Cops, the podcast about raising Coptic kids in Western culture. I'm Laura and I'm here with Madonna, my co-host, and Madonna has a great topic for us today. Yes, Laura, I am really excited about this because we've talked before on our podcast about how it gets confusing listening to all the different parenting advice. It gets confusing to know, like, are you emotionally damaging your children? Are you emotionally helping them? Are you preparing them? Are you not getting in their way? There's so much conflicting information. Well, luckily, actually, Laura, you're the one that found this video uh, citing a study that was done back in 1946, where scientists over one week tracked 13,000 children that were born just in one week. And then every generation after that, they started tracking more children and they were tracking how they were thriving, how they were living, what was going on in their life. And it ended up being a study of over 70,000 children in 70 years. And so subsequently, it was the longest running study on human development in history. So you can imagine they got some really wide and interesting data about uh, child development or human development in general. And I have to say the results are encouraging. At least I found them encouraging. What about you, Laura? Yeah, I. the basic takeaways were the things that parents need to do in order to make a difference in their kids' lives. And it was not some kind of stressful, unattainable list. And it was not, um, you know, expensive, <laughs> uh, yes. expensive things to do. Uh, they were very, I don't want to say basic because I don't, I think basic implies we all do them and we all know to do them, but they were, um, they were things that we can all do and we can all improve on and focus on and prioritize that will lead to better outcomes for our kids. Absolutely. And so it was really interesting because um, it said like the overarching theme was the single most um, influential thing in this development was headline parenting. And we know that that's super broad and we know that that's really, um, you know, challenging to think, what does that mean? What does that look like? So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the main points that came out of it. And we're going to tell you a little bit about how we see this or or what we think about that. So Laura, one of the first um, things that they were saying was one of the things that are uh, the biggest contender for actions that make a difference is talking to and listening to your kids. You know, the factors that we often think about is like poverty and money and that kind of thing. And in the study, they tried to compare kids in similar circumstances. And so one of the things that they said makes a difference, regardless of your circumstances, is if you're talking to and listening to your kids, that makes a difference to them. I think that's something that you and I advocate a lot, that the idea that our kids are human beings, like with feelings, and they are deserving of respect, they have opinions that need to be heard. Uh, Sometimes people misunderstand this and think it's about like somehow coddling your children or just doing whatever they say. But I think that it's a very big differentiator between treating someone with respect uh, Mm. or letting someone take the lead on everything. That's right. And I think that we can see that even like in marriages, right? Like you want to be able to say your opinion it may not necessarily get your way but you want to feel like you're heard like okay I hear what you're saying but let me tell you why this is not going to be the thing that we do because of this different than no I don't care this is what's going I you're going to do it because I said so there's a huge difference we've seen over and over that having an open dialogue with our kids has 
helped. And I'm not always successful at this. And let me go, go ahead and say that there's many, many times where I'm like, I'm tired of discussing this with you. It's not up for discussion. We're just doing this. <laughs> so let me just put that out there. Yeah, for sure. But I, like, for example, uh, my daughter recently had a conflict with her Spanish teacher and we have a system in this house from, from when she was like five, that if she has a problem with a fellow classmate or a teacher or anybody, if she has this, a problem, she gets to take the lead on how we're going to fix it. She gets to decide and make a judgment call about which way we're going to tackle this. You know, like, mm. does she want me to step in? Does she want to take care of it herself? Um, for example, some kid punched her in gym class in like fourth grade. And I was like, do oh my you goodness. go and have this conversation? She said, no, I'm going to go and tell the teacher. So she went herself. And so um, having just the, that like autonomy over your life and having that conversation where you're in charge of your life, you the child, and you can make some decisions with my guidance and help <laughs> makes a big difference to the way they the way you build trust in a family, right? And the way that they build their own self-confidence in dealing with their problems. So it's just a matter of like talking through and processing things with them. But that important thing though, Laura too, is in that situation, your daughter felt comfortable enough to come tell you that it happened too. So one of the things that I just spoke with a friend about this is you have to be really careful to mitigate your reactions to things, whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether they're crazy, you have to always be very in the middle neutral and then okay let's talk through this you know um, and that encourages them to keep coming back more and more so definitely talking to and listening to your kids we've seen it firsthand again don't always do it well but just being in the process of fighting to do that is is really helpful and to add to that we actually had a family meeting uh, a church last week and uh, one of the things we learned for conflict resolution is paraphrasing so when someone comes and says to you blah, 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 blah. Instead of responding right away, you say what I like, what I hear you saying is, or what I understood from what you said was this and that, and just rephrasing what they said back to them. And I think this is so important with your kids too, because, you know, when they come rushing at you and they say, you know, um, joy smacked me with a toy in the head and I'm so angry, mama. So what I'm hearing you say is you had this conflict with joy. And then you, then they're like, yeah, but actually I hit her first. And you're like, oh, wait, (laughs) <laughs> you, know, you get more of the story when you're willing to paraphrase and keep listening before responding. So I think that's also key. So actually, Laura, I just saw a video from a psychologist that talks about how to get your kids to talk, because um, a lot of the things that people complain about, too, is that their kid will give like one word answers or they don't like elaborate. So you'll be like, hey, buddy, how was school today? And they're like, fine. Uh, how'd you do on your math test? Good. So there's two things to this. First is make sure you're asking an open-ended question. So nothing that you can answer with just a yes or no, like, Hey, how did you feel about your test today is different than how did it go? Right. And then the second thing is, is when they respond, you, you repeat back the last two words that they said, one or two words that they said, and it allows them to keep going. Just be like, um, Hey, how did you feel about band practice today? Oh, it was so boring. And then you would be like, so boring. And they'd be like, yeah, because the teacher made us do these drills over and over, over and over. Yeah. Like a hundred times I had to do it over. and over. So then they keep talking. I thought that was really clever. And I think I'm going to try that. <laughs> I like that. I definitely need to try that because I always struggle to come up with more and more 
intrusive questions I'm just like just tell me what you want to tell me but I think the repeating <laughs> would encourage them for sure yeah 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 so yeah so I think that that's for us in on this podcast that is like ABCs of parenting please talk to your children and listen to your children <laughs> absolutely um, the other thing uh, one of the other things they mentioned was being emotionally warm which I think ties perfectly with this talking to and listening to can you expand on that one yeah uh, being emotionally warm I actually I think that that's a very broad terminology and I was just about to see what exactly they meant by that. But um, my guess is, is expressing your love for them, like making sure that they know how you feel about them and that you're um, spending more time praising than criticizing. Um, that doesn't mean that you can never provide discipline or correction or direction, right? But, or guidance, but you don't want that most of your interactions be negative or revolved around here's what you need to do to be better but more just being warm like imagine the person that you enjoy being around um what are they doing to make you enjoy being around them are they constantly putting you down or are they saying like to you hey i'm so i'm so proud of you or i'm so glad that you did this and i'm so thankful for who you are and just letting them know how important they are i think i would characterize that as emotionally warm what would you think I love that you said, you know, expressing your love as being emotionally warm, because I feel like sometimes that's where the disconnect happens. So uh, I'm sure you've all heard of the five love languages and the idea that if someone is giving you the wrong love language, like they're loving you with acts of service when you just need a hug, you don't feel loved. You don't feel their warmth. And so I think that idea with our kids too, like notice what your kid needs to, to recognize your love and res be responsive to those needs. Um, I, I always talk about how sometimes my daughter will ask me to go make her something, like make her a sandwich or make her cocoa or whatever. And I'll be like, go do it yourself. Like you're 14, mm. you go do it yourself. But I realized acts of service is her love language. So what she's actually asking for is, can you please love, love on me a little bit, you know? And so that changed things. Cause I, in my opinion, my job as an adult is to teach the children independence. But that's not what's happening in this situation. She's not slacking. She's asking for love. And so when I go and make that sandwich and she feels loved, that provides that safe space for her to, again, to come back and talk or come back and bring up problems and all those other things we were talking about. Yeah. And um, this was another one that I thought was um, interesting is, well, first of all, actually, okay, let me just go for the next one. Reading to them daily and encouraging them to read for pleasure. This is one, Laura, that you and I are always like talking about. This is like a big one in our family because uh, my kids are super excited to go to the library and it's like a big family fun trip to go to the library and get things. And um, the thing is, is I don't always like to read to them every day. <laughs> I get kind of tired of it, especially once they started learning to read because they also have no bounds. Like like once you start one book, they want to read 3,700 of them um, and it can get kind of hard. But over and over and over and over again, no matter how I feel about it, the studies show that reading with your kids daily has marked improvement in their overall life and health and everything. Um, it it produces good habits. It creates good bonding time. It increases their language skills and their thinking skills and all sorts of skills. Um, it overall doesn't have any negative effect that I've ever heard of. Yeah. So it's definitely important. Yes. Uh, I mean, I'm an English teacher, so reading for me is essential. <laughs> 
But I do want to clue you in on something as your kids get older, Madonna. So uh, my son has this handy trick for being read to regularly when I'm not available or my voice gives out, which is audiobooks. So he has the yes. library app and he will pull up the books that he loves. And actually, sometimes we'll all be sitting together listening to this audiobook, you know, this reading of um, whatever book he happens to be on. And we are interacting and making eye contact and laughing at the jokes. Um, while we're doing other things. So, our, you know, we're playing Legos, but we're also listening to a, a book yes. and having that bonding experience of, of the story time. So I feel like, um, yeah, I mean, come on, guys, we've been telling you, not just us, I mean, like all English teachers and all teachers, all elementary school teachers have been telling you from, you know, 19, whatever, that you should be reading with your kids. Like that should be. <laughs> and to make another case for audiobooks too, by the way, and as outside of just it giving mom and dad a rest in their voice, is it is proven that listening to people of different accents and tones and um, like language backgrounds actually also helps uh, like light up their brain. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. So it's you are helping your kid by putting on an audiobook. Yes, yes. And just think of like how many times I mean I remember as a like an English language learner, um, how many books, how many words we read in books and we didn't know how to pronounce them. And mom and dad certainly didn't know how, but like mm. listening to an audiobook, okay, you get like the proper pronunciation in too. So you learn yes. a word and how to say it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So that one's a, a good one, an easy one. If you can't read to them every day, just press play on an audiobook at least. That's right. Okay. And the next one that I'm liking is... Oh, uh, this is a big one for me. Making it clear you have ambitions for their future. Mm. Kids need you to tell them that they can do things, <laughs> that they, they are capable of doing the things that other people say are hard. So I had a conversation with one of my Sunday school kids yesterday where I shared a video um, about, it's from like a Nigerian sitcom about how like the kid, if he got a 91 this is like failing oh, yeah. in their house. Yeah, I share this on Instagram too. I thought it was hilarious. And this kid was like 91 as a fail, like as a failing grade. Like that's insane. I'm like, actually, it's totally doable and you can do it. And if nobody's ever told you that you can do it, like you can get A's, it's not a problem. Like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> like, I'm sorry no one believed in you enough to say that. So I feel like um, you know, not that the grades themselves that matter, but the idea that you can do hard things, you can you can be a doctor. It's not as hard as they make it sound, you know? <laughs> I don't know, Laura. I have mixed feelings about this one. Tell me can more about that? the ambition mixed for feelings. their future. Well, it's not that I don't think that we should have ambitions for their future and make them know that. But I think one thing that as a Egyptian generation person, right? Like, I think one of the things that a lot of our generation complained about was our parents picked one or two tracks for us. And that was all that we were allowed to do. They were ambitious. They were great and noble goals for us. But it also felt like if you didn't follow those one or two choices, that was a failure, right? So I think we also have to toe the line there and be careful. So yes, have ambitions, uh, but like more like you can do hard things, you can do big things, you can dream it, you can whatever, you know, I think all of those things, here's how you can be put on the correct path. I can see you doing wonderful things to change the world and wonderful things in the kingdom of God and wonderful things in, in your community. There's so many things that we can tell them. 
as long as we don't like bottle them in, this is the thing that I want you to do that would be ambitious and and a high goal for you. So I I do think that there is some discretion there. I think it's that making it clear you have ambitions for their future. I'm maybe that phrasing is not exactly the phrasing I would use. Mm. I I think it's not about my ambitions for your future. It's you can do the thing, you know, it's that. And I think that's kind of where you're going with this Madonna, that that's different from you have to do the thing, the pressure, the expectations that are burdensome. You know, there's a difference between that and whatever you want to do in life, you have the ability to do it well, you know, like, and if you want to choose this path, if that's what you love and that's what you're willing to work hard at, you're going to be fine. You know, and I think that that's different from, I have a plan for you. You're going to be CEO of this company by this age. Like exactly. So I, I love that. Exactly. I love that too. Um, and then one that I think is a personal philosophy in our family that I am so happy to see on this list is taking them on excursions. Because one thing I preach to everybody is don't be a wuss about taking your kids out. <laughs> don't be a wuss about taking them on vacation, about getting on a plane, about going for hikes, about doing whatever you want to do. I think that I am a huge proponent of get out of the house with your kids and experience new things together because one, it takes you out of the routine. And two, you learn so much more about each other on these trips. Sometimes they're good things. Sometimes they're not good things, but you learn about each other and it's bonding. Um, And there's so many parents that I talk to that they're like, oh, my kid is like a toddler. They're so hard in an airplane or my kid is so hard in a car. My kid is so hard. I know, I know they're, but they're hard for you at home too. And they're hard for you at the grocery store and they're hard for you at school. Like there's always a problem. So what is the result of those things though? What is the goal that you want to achieve? So even if it's tough, even if it's hard, the results show, take them on excursions, get out of the house, experience new things together. I cannot preach that enough. And uh, I would say Abuna would agree with you a hundred percent. He always says that kids, when they go on a vacation, whatever the trip happens to be, they come back exponentially grown. Like the Mm -hmm. maturity level explodes from just the trip, just the journey, just the being together in a new environment, experiencing new things. It just makes their brain light up in a way that is hard, yeah, is hard or impossible to replicate when you're looking at the same four walls or going through the same routine. Anything that really um, expands the experiences they can have helps them grow so much. So I, I think it's just, and again, I, I think Madonna and I we t- talked about this earlier, um, maybe before we started recording. But the things can be free. Like it doesn't have to be something that costs yes. money. There are so many. Just, just go take a walk. I was just going to say that. Yes. Around the neighborhood, just whatever. (laughs) I saw that this mom was um, talking about she decided to take her kids on a yes day. And they were like, this is like her third year doing this. And um, so she has some parameters for this yes day. She has three children and they're, uh, I think, middle schoolers, late elementary, early middle schoolers. And she was saying to them, like their budget for the day for all three kids is $150 total. Nothing with future repercussions like they can't buy a puppy and they can't get a piercing things like that um and it has to be safe and nothing harmful right and she said that 90 percent of what they were doing that day was free and it was simply just time with mom and dad outside so like they would say hey watch me do my scooter tricks or ride our bikes to the local park or whatever that's all that they wanted to do was stuff like that and then of course get ice cream and things like that 
Um, but I thought it was so interesting that, you know, we always say like, we have to do these big things, but we don't. Um, and then the second part of that, Laura, that I wanted to bring up is I have this concept that I call repeat exposure. And so a lot of the times a kid will, a, a parent will take their kids out and they have a very bad experience and it discourages them from doing it again. But I feel that if your kids have repeat exposure to going out and they build up a tolerance, it gets better and better and better. So don't let your first even five negative experiences stop you from continuing because my kids at the very beginning when they were young and granted, I know not all kids are the same. So please take what I say with a grain of salt. But at the very beginning, it was difficult to travel with them. And now they're great travelers just because repeat exposure. They constantly are being, um, you know, exposed to the idea of travel, the idea of going out, the idea of not being at home and having your things and things like that. So agreed. Yes. My, yeah. My kids, the, we did this with restaurants, you know, like how do we behave in a yes. restaurant? We have to go to a restaurant yes. over and over. And yeah, sometimes we break a glass and things don't go the way that you expect, you know, but then they're experts. They're, they're great. They go to the restaurant. They know what to do. They know how to read the menu. They know how to, they've got, they know how to order politely, you know, a hundred percent. Or like you said, travel. I mean, my kids pack their own bags. They know how to ask what's needed. They know how to think through like what they're going to need on a trip. That didn't come because they're naturally amazing at packing. That came because they had to do it over and over and over. A hundred percent, Laura. That's exactly right. Yeah. All right. What's your next one, Laura? The, I feel like the last two are kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm going to go with the bedtime one. Maintaining a regular <laughs> bedtime, which... I, I, I'm so curious about, because I know like in Egypt, the regular bedtime thing is like a not thing, at all. Yes. <laughs> like at all. And so I'm really curious, like, I wish there was more to be done, but I know for my kids being able to be in bed at a certain time, 80% of the time, but not a hundred percent, 80% of the time being able to be home and buy their beds <laughs> by a certain time does help them a lot. I, I will say that I want to push back on this a little bit, but not because I think it's incorrect, but because I do think it has a lot to do with your family life. So for example, like our day to day is rather flexible. And so like, if my kids have a late night, we don't have a rushing morning where we have to get up by a certain time. So in that regard, the regular bedtime, I would say is not, um, it's not fundamental because they don't have to get up by a regular time every day. Right. But I would say if they had to get up by a regular time every day, then I could see because you want to make sure they get the correct amount of hours of sleep. You want to make sure they get enough time to rest and unwind and have time to wake up without being rushed. So I could see if you have a regular daytime schedule, why that would be important. Um, but in our house, it's more just making sure they get the right amount of sleep and not so much that they're going to bed at the same time. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some of the problems we experience with the mornings are because we don't have a regular bedtime. So who knows? It's possible. Yeah, I know for my kids, they wake up at the exact same time, no matter what time they go to bed. So it's really hard for them to mm. make up any sleep in the morning. So mm. whenever we steal from their bedtime time, it it just, it, they don't make it up. They don't know how to sleep in um, and make up for it. But I, you know, that's for sure because they have a very rigid morning routine that they have to stick to. So I, I don't know. I, I think it helps at least for them to have an idea. It helps me. <laughs> yes. It helps me to be able to say I'm off duty at this time. Cause you're in bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and, 
and a happy mommy makes for a happy life. So <laughs> I understand. Yeah. So that's one thing for sure is that I tend to self-sabotage at night because if my kids go to sleep late, then I end up staying up late so that I can have that wind down time for me. So I, I guess, I guess it's right. Yeah. I think I want to push back on it because I have a hard time following it. So it's probably the better thing, but yeah. And then the last one, which I'm going to broaden it a bit, but what it says is teaching them letters and numbers. What my guess is, Laura, is that it has more to do with the early involvement in their education and showing them that you care and that you're spending time with them than it does so much that they're learning their letters and numbers. Because I know that kids, for example, that are behind or they struggle or whatever, it's not because their parents didn't teach them the letters and numbers. Some kids are just, um, you have a, a rougher time with learning those things. But I think that it just equates to, did you sit with them? Did you put in effort and show them that you care about these things um, and spend that quality time with them. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think for sure some parents don't even realize that there's such a thing as early childhood education, like that while your kid is home with you before they go to kindergarten, there should be some educating, but I I'm with you that it should be expanded. It's not just about letters and numbers. It's do you speak to your child? Do they respond to you? Are you expanding their vocabulary? Are you introducing Mm -hmm. them to items in the kitchen, <laughs> items in the grocery store, items in the whatever. Like, are you having vocabulary building conversations? Are you, um, are you again, exposing them to different environments where they have to learn different things, like taking them to church and talking about the icons and the saints and stories. And I mean, there's just so much you can do to, um, to start, start building those brain cells. I don't know. <laughs> just yes. It's literally just, them. It's literally just narrating. I think people think when you say teaching them letters and numbers, you're sitting in front of your nine month old with flashcards and like, A, say A, ah, ah, you know, like it doesn't have to be like that. It's just the idea of narrating and involving them that they naturally pick up things. And it's the same way that you learned language. Like no one sat you down and said, ball, ball, ball. It's just like, here, have you be like, pass the ball. Can you throw mommy the ball? Can you do the ball? And then you're, you learn this is a ball. Like that's just how it works. Or like just being like, oh, look, it's the letter D like your name, Diana, you know, like just, yes. just when you're walking down the street, like just, I love the way you said narrating, literally yes. just narrating. <laughs> yes. It's just saying what you seeing, what you say exactly. So, or saying what you see, sorry, <laughs> saying what oh. you see. Oh, <laughs> Yes. So it's funny because this is this is the ex, this is the comprehensive list that they came up with guys this was it to review it was talking to and listening to your kids making it clear that you have ambitions for their future being emotionally warm teaching them letters and numbers taking them on excursions reading to them daily and encouraging them to read for pleasure and maintaining a regular bedtime it's a list of seven things but you may read this and be like well, this is really simple, or this is really obvious, or this is really basic. But yeah, because it's really very essential and very, yeah, it's basic. I mean, it it's hard for us because we overcomplicate it. But really, I think that one of the things that we need to do is to uncomplicate our lives. And if this is all they need, we can be encouraged that this is something that we can all achieve and we can all attain. And as Laura said at the beginning, they try to they tried to um, 
compare kids that were in similar situations. They didn't compare somebody that was in a low poverty situation with somebody that was in a in a um, high financial situation together. They put people together. They compared low poverty to low poverty and um, wealth to wealth, which was yeah. interesting. Yes. Uh, and then, um, yeah. And, and the other thing that I wanted to make sure that we said is that what this list of seven things means is that those are, should be your priorities. Mm. If there is a swimming class that is taking up the time that you can talk and listen to your child, that class needs to go. Like yes. I, I remember um, for a while there, we did Kumon with Sophia, which was the, uh, it's like it's math like tutoring. tutoring. Class. Yeah. yeah. We would fight about it all the time. And when I went to break up with the lady and say, I'm not doing this anymore. She was like, but your child is so advanced and your child is blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I, life is full of things for us to fight about. I don't want to fight about math. Like yes. <laughs> of all the things I want to spend my time doing, fighting about math with my child is not it. <laughs> I understand. So, so knowing the thing that knowing, like knowing these priorities means that you can look at all the other things that are costing you mo time, money, stress, scheduling, calendars, blah, 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 blah. Those things can be reduced and your child is going to be more than okay. Those, mm. these, those are not the things that make the biggest difference. Mm. So, Absolutely. So I hope that these are encouraging, an encouraging study for you guys. Like it was for Laura and I, when we read it, we were very excited that like, Hey, okay, we can do this. All of that complications out there, all of the, the conflicting advice and the things that make you feel like, Oh my gosh, I should be doing so much more. You don't have to do more. Everything else is extra. Everything else is a perk. Everything else is an advantage, but it's not a must. So I hope that you guys are excited by that. And if you have anything you want to add, remember you can email us at raisingupcops at gmail.com or reach out to us on Instagram. I'll make sure to put our handles in the show notes. Exactly. And with that being said, thank you for joining us on Raising Up Cops. Until next time.